Hey guys, welcome to the Ask Podcast, where we Shalom. take your questions that you're asking and we explore them together. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm Tim. I'm sitting here with Kelly, and we are stoked to jump into your questions. So, how about we just get started? Boom, let's do it. All right, so this question was sent in by. Hey, I guess we don't know who sent it in, it's huh? Because totally we take these questions anonymously. Anonymously, that's uh, right. Which I hope you guys appreciate. We appreciate that you're just able to ask these open and honestly, which we'd yeah. want you to be able to do to our face as well. But this is the question that was sent in How do you deal with ongoing sin? Ooh, sin. Yes. I, I'm, I'm going to guess that this is kind of hinting at something that we would talk about sometimes if we were teaching a message. Oh, yeah. We talk about habitual sin. Yeah. Habi- right? those, well, those sins you just keep going back to over and over and over, yeah. no matter how hard you try yeah, to and break I think, away. Yeah. And I think in, in, a, in some ways, the Bible would call this even a stronghold, like something that you just can't get away from. Like this is something that is happening in your life that you want to change and you want to not want it to be there, mm. but for some reason you can't get away from it. And so, how do you deal when you can't? Yeah, I think stop the, the when first, you can't help yourself. The first thing, whoever's asking this question, assuming they're yeah. asking about themselves, yeah, and not like, <laughs> oh, my mom's oh, really yeah. got this she thing really she wants to stop doing. Yeah. Um, if it's if it's for yourself, like, and you're already recognizing that it's sin, right. you're in a great. Absolutely. Spot. Like yeah. you're moving in the right direction when you've got something that you're relying on in your life. That's yeah. a, a regular part of your either daily or weekly existence. And you're like, man, I can't break away from this evil sin. Mm-hmm. Like you're recognizing what God is calling it. So whether that's alcohol or pornography or pride or, or lust. Absolutely. Yeah, or even uh, you gossiping, know, gossiping, stealing, even you know, being just dishonest or omitting truth. But here's the thing: when you recognize that there's something in your life that needs to change, the pathway to freedom is a lot, a lot closer than you realize, mm. because it actually takes a lot of humility to admit the truth of the reality of what whatever you're going through. When you get to a point where you realize, man, maybe I'm not as awesome as I thought I was. Uh, I think the pathway to healing and the pathway to God's presence is so much closer because honestly, oftentimes in the Bible, we see we as humans must become less so that God can become more glorified or more magnified in our mm, lives. Some John the Baptist there. I, I think that, uh, that probably the next step, right, once we recognize it as something that is off, that's wrong, right? I think the next step is also then recognizing if it's sin, Jesus paid for it. Absolutely. Right? It's not something that anymore needs to stand between you and God's presence because yeah. Jesus has already paid for it. So you don't need to you don't need to hide in shame from him. Mm-hmm. You don't need to uh, bury it in your time with him. You don't need to pretend like it doesn't exist and you don't need to let it be a reason to push you away from his presence. The mm-hmm. enemy loves to get in right. there, tempt you to a sin and then as soon as you do shame rub you. your nose in Absolutely. it to keep you from God's presence, but Jesus mm-hmm. has already paid for all of all of my sin, everything that I did yesterday, did three years ago, and what I'm going to do tomorrow is already yeah. paid for. And and the thing is, um, again, it's it's super important that you know that Jesus paid for this, right? And that as actually is the motivation for why we would resist it. Yes. And so and and so I would say the deeper that you gaze into the face of God the more that you disdain this type of behavior. Now, that doesn't necessarily take the behavior away, but at least 
gets you to a place where you've already discovered the fact that you just don't want this to be in your life anymore. That's right. It, it takes a lot of the power out yes. of the sin mm-hmm. to recognize that it no longer is a, a, a no longer a need to yeah, run you, from God because of it. Yeah, you don't need to run from God for it. And, and here's the thing: part of the reason why we continue to sin in this way or in these ways, I would say is because we think we can't live without it. Mm -hmm. And so once you start realizing that Jesus is all that you need, and he actually like paid for this sin so that you can experience greater freedom, Mm -hmm. then you're not going to want to go back to this type of bondage anymore. And so it starts with, let's just get really practical. Yeah. It starts with making small, great, godly decisions. Mm -hmm. And uh, one time, like, I used to struggle with pornography, uh, you know, pornography and and masturbation for a good chunk of my early college career. And I was going to these, like, 12-step programs, and one of my friends who was coming out of CR, he told me once, um, he's like, just try to say no once, Mm. right? He didn't say try to conquer, like, the next, like, make the, like, you know, be sober for a year or anything like super. The like goal, the goal is big. the next time, the next time say no just once. And, and, and it was that one time I said, no, I realized that Jesus actually gave me that strength mm. that, that I could actually live without this particular stronghold in my life. And that Jesus was better than whatever I was about to do for that one time. And that, you know, and small behaviors usually give way to like more bigger behaviors. And so once I start making small good decisions, I start making bigger good decisions. And so I would say like if you're trying to get away from ongoing sin, start small. Start with one decision at a time. Jesus uh, tells us how to pray in the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. Um, Michelle calls that manna, right? Like bread from heaven is manna, and so it satisfies. Um, and my wife, she she says maybe every day. Sometimes I don't ha- I don't I don't know if I'm getting what I need for the day, mm. but there's sometimes I just need manna for the moment. Mm. And you know, and I think sometimes it's okay to ask God for manna for that moment when you're feeling. Uh, a tendency or a temptation or desire to go back to a sin that you know that you shouldn't live in. Uh, Just choose the manna for that moment. Yeah. I mean, I would say in temptation, run to Jesus. Yes. After failing, run Run to to Jesus. Jesus. Like the, the best thing you can do is remind yourself of the gospel. Like we'll talk about every once in a while, preach the gospel to yourself. Remind yourself of who Jesus is. That he, like, he loves you. He's paid for it, uh, both before and after that temptation that he has taken care of that. Absolutely. Uh, make those small choices to begin adjusting it. Like, recognize, like, what are your weak points? Is it, are you finding that you're, yourself falling into irrational anger with people when you're hungry, right? And so you need to make sure uh, you manage your blood sugar. Uh, are you uh, falling into lust when you're tired? Do you need to, to change maybe your, your pattern of behavior? No longer, maybe you start sleeping with your phone plugged in in the other room and get a, an old school alarm clock. Yeah. Uh, whatever it is, you start making small changes. Like Jesus encourages people, actually he encourages people to make even bigger changes, right? He says, yeah. you know, 
if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. And if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. Yeah. Which is, you know, his, all his followers weren't walking around without limbs. Right. But the idea is like, sin is such a big deal that making a big change to your life is worth it to not have that sin in your life. It and totally so, is. and maybe if you're not at that point yet where you're willing to make a big change, like saying like, I'm not going to have my phone with me at those times when I'm tempted to look up pornography, or I'm going to decide to cut that friendship out of my life that we're, when we're together, it's just always a bad decision that we're making. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're not at that point where you're willing to make those big changes, uh, it's time to start continuing to go back to God and say, mm-hmm. God, would you help me see this area the way that you see it as Absolutely. leading to death, as leading to destruction, as an awful, terrible, sinful thing, instead of, sometimes I think we think of sin issues as like just rules, arbitrary rules, right. or uh, like simple rules that we are just trying to to follow along, yeah. to, but to I be don't, quote unquote good. But I don't Jesus think, is trying to warn us yeah. of these pitfalls. Absolutely. Well, because I think, like like you said, I don't think people realize that sin is something that you do against God, mm. right? I think that there's a disconnect where people think, well, as long as I'm not hurting anybody, or who am I really hurting, or I'm not really like hurting someone that much? Yeah. So and so, like, I was giving a talk at at a particular Christian high school, and and I was talking about the link between pornography and how it affects the way you view women or men or, and, and, and the way it will affect your marriage. And in a way, you know, it's a gateway to other things because your brain is addicted to variety, not necessarily the particular, um, activity that, that, that you're, you're drawn to. You're, you're actually, you know, the, the endorphins and the dopamine is released, uh, with the different types of variety that you expose it to. Right. That's why social media can be so addicting and shopping is so addicting because there's something different that's scrolling on the page. And that's what happens when you're looking at pornography is the same amount of pornography is not going to give you the same experience if you keep watching the same pornography. That's why it's a gateway into other types of like pornographic experiences that actually supports a sex trafficking industry and then eventually it supports uh, even darker things like child uh, trafficking as well and that's why you want to stop it before it starts and this one kid came to me afterwards he's like I don't believe you Kelly I'm like well thank you for being honest he's mm-hmm. like I don't see how me looking at pornography is hurting anybody else and I'm like well like you're supporting an industry that uses women as a commodity right literally you are objectifying God's children and well, so and those those websites Make money on ads that measure based on clicks. Exactly. And so you're, you may not be giving money directly, but, but you're your, paying with your, your clicks, attention. Yeah, your clicks are yeah. are a difference maker, even if it feels like it's small. Totally. And, and so you're contributing. And, and so uh, all that to say, all that to say, not to actually turn this into a podcast about pornography, right? Because or, although or, if you would like to hear us talk more, yeah, about just porn. ask the question. Um, but yes, you know, if you're not paying for your porn, you're paying with your attention and that's how they get money, uh, off of advertisers. But at the end of the day, we don't necessarily think that our sin is hurting another person, another person or, or not that much or, or not that much, or it's definitely, we don't think we're sinning against God. Right. And so that's what I think is so interesting. If you look at the story of, of the prodigal son. Right, you see that whoever is asking this question is on a journey, similar to that to that of the prodigal sons, but we're talking about the younger one right now. 
And the younger prodigal son goes off to a far land and he satisfies his flesh and does the sinful things. But he comes to a place in his life where he actually comes to his senses, the Bible says, right? And he, and then he's essentially asking, how do I deal with this ongoing sin? How do I stop sinning, right? And it's at that point, right, which I think is the hardest part where his journey back home begins, that's right. And and I think and, and part of his speech, really interesting, his speech was, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. Mm. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Will you accept me as a servant? Now, as soon as we understand that our sin offends an eternal God, so much that the only way that it can be paid for is by the death burial and resurrection of a, of any of any of his eternal son right that your eternal debt requires an eternal payment and the moment you realize that that's when things start to change that your eternal debt exacted eternal payment you're not going to look at your sin so lightly not so that you feel shame not so that you feel guilt this is not about that this is about you experiencing a level of appreciation and gratitude that it transforms the way you live your life that you come running back to the father like a prodigal son would out of gratitude not out of guilt not out of shame but out of appreciation that the debt was now paid and that your sin against God first has been expunged. And I think that starts to permeate our minds. And I think even out of that story, if there, were, there was one encouragement I would have for the person who, who wrote this, who's saying, yeah. how do I deal with ongoing sin? That if you're at a spot where you feel like your ongoing sin is pushing you away from God, mm-hmm. that just like the prodigal son, like you might be coming head hanging low, coming back to God, asking right. for a little bit of help that maybe you don't even feel like you deserve, but you're hoping that he helps you with this area. And what you will find is a God who loves you mm-hmm. lavishly. The, the father in the story runs out, throws his arms around, hugs and kisses and throws a party for the one who's returning. Right. And so God's welcoming you into his presence. It wasn't conditioned on your... Uh, on your perfection when you came to Jesus in the first place, and it's still not conditioned on your perfection now. And mm-hmm. so we're all pushing to honor him in our life and to to hate and eliminate and kill sin in our life wherever we can find it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that sin that still exists, that flesh that we still have, we still is have no it. longer our identity. It's no right. longer how we are identified by Jesus. That's right. Yeah, our identity is no longer predicated on our actions, on our flesh, what we can and can't provide God. I mean, because that, that is very much a, uh, an ancient understanding of the gods, is that we have to appease these gods by our behavior, by our sacrifices. But there's one sacrifice that has, op- that has been made on our behalf where we don't actually have the, uh, like, like, we don't have to actually appease God in that way. What we do, we experience God when we serve and love one another and when we love him and love, love one another. And so the last thing I want to say about this is that when we realize what Jesus has done for us on the cross and, and how that transforms us, it starts to transform the way we think. And it's not because we're trying behavioral management. We just think, we, we just start meditating on on what God did for us, and it just changes us from the inside out. Like, even this prodigal son, like, illustration, I just think it's so beautiful that the more we focus on the Father in this story, 
the more we start to live out our ni- our new identity, mm. right? Because the father reinstates him as a son, mm-hmm. throws the on robe, a robe on him, on him. Yeah. yeah, brings the community in for a party. Yes, and you just start to live out your reinstated identity as a child to that father and i think it's not because he has to or he's trying to like what would a son do in this situation you know like wwsd you know like he's not thinking that he's just living out his new refound identity who he has always been called to be and i i think the that's what it means to be transformed by the renewing of your mind see the bible not is not an instruction manual on how to behave. And I think that's a misconception. You know, so like I said, R- Romans 12 to Paul writes, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't be conformed by the pattern of the world. I, I think I said it backwards. Sorry. Uh, don't be conformed by the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so what you're doing is when you read the Bible, when you monotask reading the Bible, I feel like I should say that monotask yeah when you just read the bible without like scrolling or without trying to do something else oh like uh like multitask but the opposite but the opposite monotask yeah so when you monotask reading the bible your mind is actually being shaped to be the son or daughter that you've meant to be because now you're hearing the father's voice uh not for the first time but for many times and then you start to live out the things that the father has talked about not because you're trying but maybe you are trying but the reality is it will start becoming natural you'll start acting like a son or acting like a daughter because your your character is being transformed absolutely to, to care about and to love and to see things from jesus perspective instead of from our our fallen perspective that we all share that we all are still struggling with we're all in this process of being reformed of being transformed to be like jesus but that means not just actions like his actions right but hearts towards others hearts towards his creation and a heart towards the father that mirrors jesus heart are there denominations of christianity that teach a false gospel and you wouldn't be saved. So I think that's an important, two part. important thing. Before I let you, I know you're excited to answer I'm this so, question. We, two, we prepped this one a little cults, bit, man. and it's a I know question. you. Uh, you loved that class in seminary about the cults. Oh, culty culties! That was a fun class. Um, so the idea of a false gospel, right, right. is taking uh, taking Christianity, specifically what we say about Jesus and how to be saved, and messing with it so much to the point where it no longer is Christianity, where right. it no longer is about the real Jesus revealed in Scripture. So it's Absolutely. not it's not the small disagreements that people have. It's not uh, it's not even when you like make a mistake on like one small aspect as an individual. It has to do with the like the clear teaching of an organization. So are there this person asks, are there denominations of Christianity? And so I'm going to even like broaden that up for you a little bit because yeah. uh, denominations isn't something that we normally, I guess no. we talk about denominations of money, right? There's yeah. different types of money. $10 bills. Um, uh, are there groups bills. that would claim to be Christian? Right. Well, there's teach, lots of groups that claim to be Christian. Who teach a gospel yeah. that is so off the mark mm-hmm. that it threatens people's salvation if they're members of that group. Yes, yeah, so there's lots of groups that claim to be Christian, um, but when it comes to evangelical Orthodox Christianity, 
there are very few groups that are actually that we would actually consider Christians that teach um, something that's so far off the mark where you wouldn't be saved. But there's one particular group that that I would is still, the closest to the line. Yeah, it's closest to the line. I would still consider them Christians, um, but. Th- if you go deep into the weeds of their theology, you would see that this is something that's not orthodox or not evangelical so, at all. Examples of denominations that like we wouldn't be super concerned about, but that would probably feel pretty different than yeah. our current context, right? So if you went to a Lutheran church, it would feel pretty different, but we're yeah. not really concerned too no. much there. A Presbyterian, no. Presbyterian church would, like again, feel different, but yeah. not be super different. Um, Even Pentecostal, yeah, a Pentecostal church would probably feel real different than yeah, what we're used to here. But, but we're also not worried about their how they teach. Apostolic, yeah, Pentecostal, even a lot of Catholic, um, you know, like Catholic churches. I, I, you know, it feels different. But if we were to actually take a test on, like, you know, historical uh, theology, we'd probably get some of the right answers together. Yeah, I mean, even some of the theology that we have now comes out of Catholic scholars, right? 800 years ago. Oh a lot gosh. of the theology on the books in the Catholic Church is, is it, actually maybe correct. It more has to do with how... how my, my concern with like a Catholic Church is how how is it taught? How is it lived out? Is it lived out so far different than how it's stated that now you're living in a, you're living in a different truth than even what's like yeah. written down? Um, and so I think there are big health concerns there. But when yeah. we look at the doctrine of the, look at the, the doctrine. Catholic Church... It's, that's mean, not necessarily what we're talking about here. No, it's not what we're talking about. I would say, like, so basically I want to make a distinction here. So, so yeah, we're not talking about that, but there's, I, I feel like there's three parts. There's three groups here that we can, we can look at. Like, so we have, you know, uh, Lutheran, Protestant, Apostolic, you know, Pentecostal uh, groups that are actually what I would consider Christian uh, groups. And then you have groups that think they're Christian that are definitely not like Mormons, Jehovah Witnesses, World Mission Society, Church Mother God, like those type of people. Yeah, they'll, they'll approach you on the street and be like, oh, oh you're a Christian, Christian, I'm a Christian, Christian too. too. And then they'll no. explain some, and we're going to get into a little bit and of some of the, the most common yeah. false gospels that we see. And so I don't want to, I don't want to spoil that yeah, too much. Yeah, yeah. So, so they're talking about a different Jesus, even right. though they use the same name. It would be like me talking about Tim and I would explain Tim. Yeah, my friend Tim, who's blonde and thin. Yeah. And... <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> but yeah, you get it, right? So, uh, and then they'd be like, no, that's, you're talking about a different Tim, right? And so that, that's a different Jesus, right? But then there's this third group of people that I would say is a very small group that actually rides the line pretty hard on both of these sides. Yeah, it's hard, it's hard, it was hard for us to come up with examples of mm-hmm. this, which is kind of funny. Yeah, so this one particular group, are we ready to share what that group is? You can go for it. All right, it's <laughs> the Seventh-day Adventist community. And the Seventh-day Adventist community is, is a, is a, it would be considered a, a denomination of Christianity yes. um, that holds to some of the very similar doctrinal uh, beliefs that we do. And you they, could walk into some Seventh-day churches, yes, and they, it would not, the teaching might not be 
remarkably different than any other or the worship church. the only thing that would be different would be the day right so you have some that are very loose holding to some of their traditions and you know the only thing that's different about a seven-day adventist church would be the day maybe they're a little bit strict on certain things what do you mean the day what's oh, the seventh day thing so the seventh day is the first well is is a saturday so that's when uh the the traditional jewish like the and, sabbath sabbath yes. yeah was and so they believe that church needs to be held on the Sabbath day. But you, you read some of the Pauline letters, and you know the Bible doesn't really say that we should put too much emphasis on any particular day. So, um, without getting into the apologetic against, but, but that alone that, would be like a minor, totally minor, yeah. not even important. Uh, and so you wouldn't argue about it. You can still be in fellowship. Like the, I would still consider someone Christian. Right. Unless they were making it a salvation issue, we wouldn't make it a salvation We wouldn't issue. make it a salvation issue. Now, so we celebrate uh, we celebrate the Lord's Day on Sunday. We, you know, like that's the first day of the week, right? Jesus rose on a Sunday, or at least we think, right? So we just, we just do, we celebrate the beginning of the week on a Sunday. So we go to church on Sunday, traditionally. Now, again, not a salvation issue. Right. The only thing that can be salvific that is a tremendous issue with the Seventh Day Adventist community is that they, or it was founded by you know William Miller uh, in the in the eighteen in the eighteen hundreds, and William Miller was making some like prophets, prophetic, um, some some prophetic statements that were false. That were then. Put him in the camp of false prophets. Yeah, fine. and so and so basically, anytime somebody makes a prophecy uh, in the Old Testament or even now, uh, and and they're they're not one hundred percent accurate, uh, they put they are then put into a category of false prophets, and really their validity is dramatic dramatically like entrenched and so basically william miller said that jesus was coming back in the 40s and well jesus didn't come back the 40s or the 1840s 1840s yeah 1840s <laughs> yeah 1844 actually and in 1846 uh the second founder ellen james white who married um james kellogg or no the creator of kellogg's um, yes which is pretty interesting uh like the she, the cereal. Yes, yeah. she kind of resurrected the religion again, and some of the doctrine. And she had some other prophet, Jesus, prophetic her, things. Her answer was that Jesus came back spiritually. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, she she had some really interesting pretty thoughts. Good, a pretty good, you know, how to cover for a, a false prophecy. Just be like, well, no, it was true, but. but spiritually yeah so basically how to cover for that and but so 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 they readopted some of those same uh beliefs and some of the beliefs that they have is that you know uh jesus is actually like is the archangel michael and not the son of god so in and that that's a problem for mm -hmm. christianity or 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 they're saying that michael is jesus and again this angelic blend of deity and um and pretty much created being is is an unfortunate doctrinal um, issue that I cannot yeah, th and, that we cannot even there right like we, can't we make a secondary we look at things in the Old Testament where the angel of the Lord shows up and mm -hmm. does things that only Yahweh in the Old Testament can do right and there are plenty of solid Christian scholars who look at that and say well that's probably Jesus right pre incarnation but we wouldn't uh, say it's but Michael. we wouldn't usually point to Michael in right. that. Uh, and so without digging into all their writings, like a part of me wonders, like, are they meshing that whole idea? Like it, it does, it right. sounds wrong, but 
how wrong. But then yes. there are other things too that they talk about. They talk about how right. okay, so substitutionary atonement is a, is a huge part of Christian Christian belief, which right? is that Jesus is the the substitute sacrifice for us, and because of His substitution, we are able to be like made right with God. Right, and so what they would say, or his, you know, maybe a traditionalist for a seven an SDA, uh, they would say that Satan is actually the scapegoat. Right. He like so basically the scapegoat in the Old Testament is that the the goat would bear the sins of the people and then get released. And they would say Satan would be that scapegoat for humanity's sin, which would be a tremendous mistake because our sins was actually placed upon Jesus and Jesus bore the punishment for our sins. And then lastly, which is which it can be debatable, and I'm sure there's more things, is is this idea of annihilationism, right? And I, I think people are on both sides of the fence when it comes to uh, eternal conscious punishment or basically the extinguished... Yeah. Annihilationism the is the idea that instead of, being, instead of hell being a place that uh, at some point in history, God will just erase from existence mm-hmm. all people who are in rebellion yeah. instead, of, instead of it being uh, an, an eternal conscious punishment. Yeah. Um, and so with most of these, if an individual person came up to me and wanted to talk about Satan being the scapegoat of God, we would have a talk about scripture. Right. We'd look at this. We'd talk about atonement theory. And right. we would get into like how Jesus is the one who, who took mm-hmm. our, our sin. Um, if someone was convinced that Jesus was Michael the archangel, we might have a discussion about the angel of the Lord in the right. Old Testament. And like, well, maybe those aren't the exact same thing. Right. Um, and it's similar with annihilationism. That's one of those things that sits sort of at the border of like, what is like solid Christian teaching throughout the ages. And then this thing that's been sort of uh, like, there are, there are ancient church fathers who would have taught annihilism and it wasn't the, like the biggest theory, but it's sort of, uh, sort of always existed there. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's, it's the combination of those things right at the core of their teaching, along with this founding by people who, um, are claiming to have special words from God in yes. a prophetic, in an Old Testament prophetic sense. Yeah, where where God's word is not necessarily the the final authority. Mm. Like that's a problem when you when you see you know Christian denominations, which is not many. Uh, I would say maybe something like this, but definitely outside of Christianity, like Mormonism and Jehovah Witnesses, they do not re- they do not regard Scripture as the final authority. They would re- regard the church or they would regard the the prophet or the prophetess as the final authority. Uh, those would be outside of Orthodox Christianity for sure. And I would say some uh, SDA, if, you know, certain SDA groups that don't regard scripture as the final authority would exist outside of Orthodox Christianity. And, you know, you, you, you could be led astray. So that's the closest that we could come finding yes. a, like, an organization that you would usually consider sort of like a, a part of Christianity right. who's closest to the bubble of like, what is their yeah. like gospel? How, like how close is it to true? Um, and it would seem that the, the more that you teach their core doctrine, the more you find a seventh yeah. day church that teaches that core, core doctrine, teaching of theirs yeah. that makes them unique, uh, the more concerned maybe that we would end up Absolutely. being. And at the same time, we've known people in the, the seventh day church who, 
are great. Yeah. Great people. Yeah, great people. And I'm not talking about behavior. We're not talking about people who contribute to society. We're just talking about Orthodox Christianity that has a gospel that leads to salvation. And so we use this as an example, too, not just because we want to call out Seventh-day churches and be like, oh, sit on our our high horse or anything, but more that these are the kinds of questions that we should be talking about when we're looking at any sort of church and and what a church teaches. Absolutely. How close is it to Scripture? How does it take the classic teachings of, of the Christian Does church. Does it elevate and Jesus? Like, yeah. You know? um, and so those are important aspects of it. I think when we look at false gospels in general, right, there are three mm-hmm. common things that right. we see. Uh, one is denying the deity of Jesus. Absolutely. So uh, a gospel that talks about Jesus as, as less than God, right. uh, we would Anything. say is, is a false gospel. Right. Um, the second example that we see is a, a works-based salvation, mm-hmm. where your salvation isn't based just on what Jesus has done on the cross. Right. It's where you have to earn it. You have to do something. I think mm-hmm. a lot of us fall into that trap on a daily basis. Just without we having to be reminded yeah. of grace. Um, but there's a difference between us, like having to remember that Jesus is at all, like has paid for it all, and we don't have to earn our standing. With someone getting up on stage and basically kind of proclaiming that you need to do enough in order to be saved, mm. uh, that that goes against even something as simple as Ephesians 2, 8, 9, uh, that we've been saved by grace and not by works, yeah, so no and, one can boast. And I would like to jump in real quick, is that like this is like one of the key components to lots of cults, and pretty much every religion. This right here, the fact that you don't have to work for your salvation is actually the thing that makes Christianity so uniquely different than any other world religion. Mm. Um, you know, uh, especially when you when you talk to Mormonism, Mormons, uh, they, they quote from 2 Nephi, and they actually pre- they actually have a very similar verse to Ephesians 2, 8, 9, where Ephesians 2, 8, 9 would say, for it is by grace you've been saved through faith and not of yourself so that no one can boast. Their verse is Second Nephi something, something, and they say, you are saved by grace after all you can do. Hmm. So, so they even use some of so the Pauline you have, language. You have to try your hardest, and then grace yes. is the extra little bump that you need. Bump, yeah, yeah. Which is... It's so dangerously close to the truth oh, while still yeah. putting so much more on your shoulders than God intended. Absolutely. And so I just wanted to jump in. What, what's the third one? And the third one is uh, a, what we often will call a prosperity gospel. Oh, right? And so yes. it's taking clear teachings in the Bible yeah. that God wants to lead you into a life that's blessed, into a life that is better with him than without. Mm-hmm. And it highlights some of the material stuff some to truth, make it seem there's like, some truth there. like what Jesus has done yeah. is just to offer you earthly prosperity. And yes. many times it also doubles back into a, a workspace salvation where you're like the Not level safe. of prosperity that you receive has to do with how much good stuff that you do. Uh, and the more mm. the more good stuff that you do, the more good stuff you'll, you'll get. get. And many times breaks it down into a a formula that looks like, hey, if you give me your money, then God will give you back <laughs> even more money. Yes. Um, and strangely, like it's it's oh it seems to always be the the teacher of the moment who is asking for your yes. contributions. Yeah. So just to recap those three things, because we'll find that in you know traditional evangelical Christianity, which is denying the deity of Christ, works based salvation, and prosperity in itself as a gospel, which uh, again lends itself to I would say. It's an it's another version of works based salvation, I think. I think oftentimes, yeah. It also yeah. it waters down what we're being saved to. Right. right. It's no longer about a relationship with God. It's no longer about becoming 
like image yeah. bearers of him and representing Absolutely. him to the world. Uh, it's no like discounts the whole experience of Paul, who yeah. was downtrodden and thrown in jail multiple times and beaten uh, for the sake of the gospel, and instead makes it like, hey, Jesus just wants you to be happy and healthy and wealthy. That's right. Well, so there you have it. You know what, Tim? Did a great job, as always, as per usual. There you have it. Um, so, yes, there are different denominations of Christianity where they, they teach a false gospel, and you wouldn't be saved. And there's also denominations of Christianity that teach a true gospel where you won't be saved because, you know what? Just because a, pre- a preacher is preaching a true gospel doesn't mean you're actually hearing That's it. That's not that all way. it takes. I don't just have to hear it. No. Oh no. <laughs> no. There's so to, much more. To because it. honestly, you know, um, I, you could people today. I was reading in Acts. Where were we at? Chat, Sixteen, seventeen. Where Paul's at the Areopagus. I said that right. Right. He's on. He's at Mars Hill and he's giving his great sermon and he's teaching the gospel. But you know what? People still kicked him out. Kicked him out of the Areopagus, or they just wanted to hear him just because it was interesting, not actually because they wanted to know more about this gospel. And so just because someone teaches the gospel doesn't mean that you're going to be saved. Right. Right? But if they're teaching a false gospel, it's a little bit concerning. (laughs) A little bit goes a long way. We need to make sure that we're discerning people. Even like, if you're in our ministries, challenge us. If you hear us teach something that you feel like doesn't fit in with with your understanding of the gospel, like, like we... We're not above making no. blunders in how we talk about things. We do our best to make it clear and accurate to Scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, but all of us could use a little extra help and a little bit more discernment. Well said, Tim. Well said, audience. If you have any more questions regarding this, please let us know. Or if you have any comments, critiques, or you know some thoughts of your own, I'd love to hear it. Hey, guys. We are so glad that you joined us for this week's Ask Podcast. Uh, we hope that you continue sending us questions. Kelly, how do people send us questions? Well, yeah, you can simply right now text 949-791-9377. We want to hear your questions because you know what? Whatever you're doubting, whatever you're going through, we want to we want to enter into that doubt because we want to let you know that God is big enough to handle your quandaries. And so go ahead and text us right now at 949-791-9377 or you can actually hit up us on Instagram. How yes. can we how if you're in high school and you want to just, you know, slide into the DMs. Yes, our our DMs over for Revolution are at HS Revolution. That's where you can find us on Instagram. Kelly for young adults. Yeah, you can find us at RP Young Adults. Just let us know uh, how we can resolve some of the questions that you have. And maybe we don't have all the answers, but we can point you to the one who does, and that's God's word. All right. That's right. Thank you guys for joining us. We hope you have a great week, and we'll see you again next week on the Ask Podcast. Hasta la bye-bye. 